multi-threading has been a big part of your sales cycles this year. If you're experiencing what most reps are and that more people are getting involved in deals, you're having to speak with more executives, maybe engage with the CFO. And if that sounds familiar, you're definitely going to enjoy this episode. Before we get to it, my name is Jason Bay. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Outbound Squad. My goal is to help you turn complete strangers into paying customers. So for those of you account executives that are doing some outbound, doing some discovery, demos, multi-threading, negotiations, et cetera, you're definitely in the right place. And if you're a BDR or SDR with aspirations to become an account executive, you're in the right place as well. So today's episode was a guest appearance I did on my friend Jeff Bajorek's podcast, Rethink the Way You Sell. Make sure to check it out, subscribe to it, all that kind of good stuff. And we digged into, dug into, excuse me, a couple things. One is discovery. So a three-part framework for how do we connect with business initiatives that are important so we can attach our deal to something big. How do we quantify problems? This helps us sell the cost of inaction. That's what helps create urgency in a deal. And then that last part is lead. How do we lead the buyer through how to get a great outcome from our solution versus how to buy our solution or worse succumbing to the buyer's <laughs> process. So um, we talk about that. And then the next thing we talk about is multi-threading. So if you've ever been stuck below the line or stuck with one point of contact and had someone shoot down the deal that really doesn't have any buying authority, you're definitely going to dig this one. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. My name's Jeff Bajoric. I'm your host, and I'm here to help you rethink the way you sell. Last week, I introduced the concept of discovery. We're digging into your methods here about discovery. And um, I didn't want to go too deep into my methods because I knew that I was going to have a conversation with a great friend of mine today that was going to uh, perhaps go in a slightly different direction, or at least just I didn't want to take anything away from this conversation by giving you anything last week other than my framework. So um, without any further ado, because he's waiting in the wings right now and probably laughing at me as I give this intro or record this intro, um, Jason Bay is with me. Jason, thank you so much for coming in and, and sharing your thoughts, your expertise, your wisdom with us. Uh, I think a lot of people know you for your prospecting advice. And yeah. um, I've got some things to share with you. Some clients of mine that have been following you um, at my recommendation were, I was actually talking about you earlier today and they're like, oh, this stuff is really, really good. And we're working on a lot of <laughs> cool. top of the funnel stuff. And so I know you're known very well um, for your uh, prospecting and your, your company's former name was Blissful Prospecting. But as you've transitioned to Outbound Squad, uh, I love that you've recognized that a big part of Outbound, a big part of the selling part is discovery. Mm -hmm. So uh, looking forward to chopping things up with you on that topic today. So thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I think we've jammed on God, maybe 10, a dozen podcasts between my podcast and your podcast by this time. So uh, yeah. we're seasoned vets, at least at interviewing each other, dude. <laughs> so let's not screw it up, right? Is that what you're getting Actually, at? Let's not like, screw it up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, 
Well, okay, so why don't we start with this? I mean, I gave my thoughts on where I think a lot of reps go wrong mm-hmm. last on last week's episode. Um, but where do you think most reps go wrong with discovery? What, what do you think is fundamentally incorrect about the approach that gets them going on the wrong path right from the word go? Yeah, there's a couple simple things. I think uh, if we were to kind of zoom out a bit, what's the purpose of discovery? Um, really what we're trying to figure out is like, hey, does it make sense to for both of us to spend a lot of time with each other? <laughs> really, that's what we're trying to figure out. And the big mistake that I see is a few things. Um, one, the actual discovery conversation itself, especially if it happens over a phone call or a Zoom or Teams call, it's it's usually pretty short. It's 30 to 60 minutes, let's call it. And most of them end up being 30 minutes, especially if it was something that you sourced through your own outbound efforts. Getting someone to spend an hour on the phone with you after you call them on a cold call, probably not going to happen. So we have to be really efficient with that time. I think mistake number one that I see is going into a call without knowing what you want the outcome of that call to be. So the outcome is not schedule a demo if you're selling software or get into some sort of scoping call if you're selling professional services. Um, That's not the outcome that the buyer wants. And you have to think about what are the things that will progress this deal, both from a buying and a selling standpoint. Mm -hmm. So first things first, what you want to do is just reverse engineer how your best deals come together. And if you're new at your sales team, that's the account executive or sales rep or whoever it is, uh, who are the top three people and how do they sell and how does a typical sales motion come together? But lack of not only preparation, but knowing, hey, what is the ideal next step? So that gets us to the preparation part. Preparation, there's a couple things that I want to understand coming into that call. One being very early on, I want to understand as quickly as possible how buying decisions get made and like who the typical stakeholders are in a deal. So if we use what I sell as an example. Oftentimes with an inbound lead, it's a sales enablement manager. This is not the person that person that's going to pull the trigger on the training. They could have a lot of influence, mm-hmm. but they're not going to pull the trigger. They're not uh, setting budgets. They're not people that can get more budget. They don't meet with the people that do have the, any of those things either. Right. So coming into the call, I want to know through basic research on LinkedIn, if I know that a CRO is going to typically get involved later in the deal, a VP of sales definitely has the most influence. That's my true champion. And I need to have some of the frontline leaders, like I need their take on the content, like what mm-hmm. they think of the content because they're heavily going to influence the VP of sales. Well, not knowing who those people might be coming into the call, that's the second mistake is not yeah. understanding or having a hypothesis of who might care a lot about what we're talking about. Um, so those are kind of like two early kind of things that I want to think about prior to the call. I, I want to pause there because there's a lot that, that we could talk about. Those are two really straightforward things that I see a lot of B2B reps, especially enterprise reps, not really thinking through closely enough. Yeah, and it's easy to get fooled by that. And and let's just go with this example. The sales enablement manager has been you know reaching out to you. Um, they're going to be very closely tied to implementation on whatever you end up doing with them. So they are an important person. You don't want to you don't want to offend them. You don't want to overlook them or, or work around them because that's a working relationship you need to pre- uh, preserve and, and enhance. But you also know 
right away that they're not the ones who are going to sign the check. They're not the ones who are going to authorize the payment. Um, and in some cases, they might feel, and maybe it's not to pick on sales enablement managers, but the the person who reaches out to you in a more generic uh, deal, they may be feeling a little bit more empowered than they probably should. So sometimes it's a little tricky there to... Sometimes they may um, push back on your initial efforts to get more people to the call. How do you manage that? How do you uh, handle those maybe spicy situations with a personality? Yep. So now we're talking about multi-threading, which is a huge component of discovery. So multi-threading is your ability to get additional people involved in the deal because usually they're not thinking about that kind of stuff. So if we think about typical problems that people have when they approach the multi-threading conversation, um, one of the key principles is to take the lead. Mm -hmm. So you want to come in with a perspective based on how your best buyers get really good outcomes from your solution. That would be number two mm -hmm. is don't sell, don't multi-thread to sell your solution, sell the outcome. So I'll give you a really practical example of what that sounds like. So I was working a deal it's about a 150K deal, which is a big training engagement for, for my services. For sure, and yeah. I remember uh, the person that I was speaking with, she recommended after the second call, which we typically, I do like a quote unquote demo. It's not software, but the second call is really like, let's kind of like talk about what a training might look like and start scoping it out. And, and then we take that to other people and kind of run, we have an idea basically right? And hypothesis we can run by other people. She's like, well, let me just take that dollar amount and let's, let's just run it up the flagpole and see what my CRO thinks. Ooh. And I had to stop and be like, no, <laughs> um, like, yeah, I was like, love the excitement first off. Like I can tell you really want to do this. Can I make a suggestion? Yeah. So this is the key with multi-threading is like, I need to talk about how people get a great outcome from the training. So I said, hey, you know, one thing I'm really worried about is that you're going to take this number and we don't have any sort of justification behind it and it's just going to get shot down. The other thing I'm concerned about is typically to get a really good outcome from the training. So you want your AEs to self-source more pipe. When I've worked with companies like, you know, your gongs and your medallias and your zooms, what worked really well was we have your perspective from an enablement standpoint, but we haven't really talked to any of the folks managing the reps, the frontline leaders. We haven't gotten perspective of, uh, their VP. And more importantly, before coming to the CRO, we haven't really gotten a perspective on how this kind of fits into their one, two-year plan. Mm -hmm. Typically, I find when we get all of those perspectives, the engagement in the training is really high, the buy-in's high, the adoption's great. We can get some really great long-term outcomes. Mm -hmm. So if I could, I would suggest holding off on that, but I have some ideas on what we could do next. What do you think? And I had to have that really candid conversation this is a really big part of discovery too, is if you are unwilling to have uncomfortable conversations and just say the thing that you're thinking, um, it's going to be really hard to close these bigger deals because there's a lot of politics on the other end and you know how things come together better than your prospect does. Yes. So for me in that moment, I was like, you know, there's six minutes left in the call and I'm like, I have to say something here. I can't let this go on any longer like this. And it was uncomfortable for me and my heart was racing a little bit, but it was the right thing to do.
I've been telling people for years that that voice in the back of your head will never lead you astray. And when you know there's something that needs to be covered and you just don't want to cover it because you're afraid to ask the question, that's yep. where you let yourself down, which leads to you letting your prospects down. You're leading, you're letting their company down. You're letting their customers down because you're not in a position where you're able to help them the way you know you can. And um, that's just such a vital aspect of selling is paying attention to those feelings when you know something, but you can't get yourself to do it. But I want to go back to the point where you said, hold on, let's paint a bigger picture here. Because for people, the, the person who's calling you, or maybe the person that you reached, the context for your conversation is typically about the deal. It's about the transaction. They're thinking about how mm -hmm. they can justify giving you the money you're asking for in return for the service that you're offering. You need to, as the seller, help your prospect step back and see the bigger picture. And you need to do that for a yeah. couple of reasons. One, it has a huge impact on the success of the project. And first and foremost, we need to make sure that our customers get what they need out of this deal. But secondly, there is an element of leadership there and expertise that puts you on a higher plane than anybody else that's trying to sell them this stuff because they're not going to do this. They're going to focus on the transaction because their reps are going to get happy ears and think, oh, I've got $150,000 engagement here. A real pro, which is how you're talking, of course, you are a real pro. You're thinking, okay, yeah, $150,000. Yeah, but um, what's nicer than cash in the check is making sure that the company or my client gets exactly what they need and then some out of that investment. Because if they don't get that yep. part, I'm only going to cash one check. I want to do this again. I want a customer for life, not a customer for the end of the quarter. And so when you step back and show your customer a bigger picture, they will, one, appreciate that. And two, it will change the dynamics with how this deal gets done. That's how you sell bigger deals. Because you're right. Yep. The VP of sales gets 150 grand, and they're like, no. We can hire a trainer to do whatever this guy's going to do. And maybe they're not doing it even half as well, but we can get it for a third of the price. And now we're in. We can't make this about finances right away, uh, let alone a single concept right away. And that's just, uh, I want to make sure yeah. that listeners or viewers, if you're watching us on YouTube um, or even on the video feed on Spotify, if you haven't checked that yet, a little, little plug for the the other feed on the show here, Jay. Um, but if, if you're listening to that, if you're paying attention to this, you've got to look for opportunities where you can broaden the scope, uh, if not necessarily of the deal, at least broaden the scope of how you're looking at the deal. Yep. And bonus points, if I forgot to mention this part, if you can do that through a customer story. So what I mentioned was, because we have our, you know, one of our bigger customers, Medallia, it was, hey, can I can I tell you about how this kind of came together with them and how we were able to get good results? And I kind of walk through the process that we went through. But it's, yeah, get them to think past the sale. Buyers don't participate in a buying process or a sales motion from your uh, viewpoint. They don't do that to buy your thing. Like they want to get the outcome from your thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they want to get the outcome from your solution. So get them to think about the outcome and how to drive it. The McKinsey's got a really good stat. It's something close to seven out of 10 change management initiatives fail. Mm. So I want you to think of multi-threading as a way to de-risk the purchase for the buyer. Because seven out of 10 times when they buy large things, it fails. It doesn't work. It doesn't deliver on it. So you want to de-risk. Might have gotten that one from Jen Allen to give her a little credit. Um, 
But yeah, I, I want to multi-thread to de-risk the deal and to get a better outcome. Every time that I have the multi-thread in conversation and I'm like, hey, you know, we've worked with companies like X, Y, and Z and gotten this outcome. Do you mind if I share a little bit more about how they were able to do that? The answer is always yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then I just walk through, here are the parties that we need involved. Another pro tip, when you're having that conversation and you want to have it early, in the very first call that you meet someone, you want to start talking about this stuff. I want to have done the research beforehand so I can ask for people by name. And I'm just going to refer to them by first name. So if Katie's your CRO, I'm going to be like, hey, and then not that now is the best time to do this, but at some point we're going to want to get Katie's perspective. She's going to want to know how this fits in long-term to her one, two-year plans. I know you guys are expanding into more countries, selling more products, that sort of stuff. And then at some point we're going to get so-and-so's perspective because as a frontline leader working with the reps every day, they're going to have a really good idea of like what the reps are actually doing and how it's working, what they'll be receptive to and be able to get by in there. So being able to talk about that, the principle there is it's easier to correct than to educate. So show that your prospect, show your prospect you did some work and allow them, invite them to correct you. Educating you from scratch is a lot of effort. And that's what people do to rookie salespeople, right? They need to be educated. (laughs) So be the vet, come in with a perspective, come in with some ideas, Always know what you want the next step to be so that you can recommend it. But I'm a really big fan of discovery. You got to make recommendations. Mm-hmm. The, the, what I, what you just illustrated there and, you know, making that, uh, that, that data subscription, whether it's zoom info or Apollo or whoever it is, but you, you're making that, mm-hmm. that subscription work for you. Contrast yep. what you just talked about coming with the information, knowing who the likely other parties are to get involved and knowing who they are so that you can be on that plane with your prospect versus what most rookie sales reps would do is they would use this call as a fact finding mission to say, well, yep. who else would be involved? Oh, was is Katie? Is, is, who's your CEO? Oh, you have a CRO? Oh, and her name's Katie? Oh, okay. And who all these other, you know, mid-level managers or frontline managers are. Yeah. Uh, you're spending time in that call learning stuff you could learn on your own. And yep. um, there's a difference between not just how you use your time, use your time, but how you are perceived during that time. Are, do you want to be perceived as an expert, as uh, you know, someone who is a force to be reckoned with, or are you just a sales rep trying to do your job? Think about that difference. Uh, the other thing there too that is really important is when you ask a decision maker who the other people might be, or when you ask someone who thinks they're a decision maker who the other decision makers might be, it sounds like you're devaluing their role in the buying process. When you come prepared with the other people who are likely to be involved, to your point, let them correct you. So Jason, is is Katie going to, when do we need to get Katie involved? And you get to tell me, as a matter of fact, she already delegated the decision-making process to me. You're talking to who you need to talk to. Okay, great. That's a different conversation than yep. let me question your authority here. I'm assuming your yep. authority and I'm assuming that you're not the only one with authority. I'm assuming you have colleagues you're going to want to bounce this idea off of. How soon can we get them involved? Same questions, completely different tenor. And yep. it's this nuance that separates um, the great from the wannabes, really. And nothing yep. wrong with being a wannabe. You want to get good at some point. Well, yeah. this is what it looks like. Yep, exactly. Um, 
How far into, you know, one of the things that I talk about that great, great discovery does is creates tension. And I think mm-hmm. you create tension by asking really good questions. Do you have a go-to list of questions that you like to ask, or do you just have a series of things that you want to make sure you've understood before you get off the call? And those are, again, sound like similar things, but they're not always the same. Yeah, you definitely want to have some some stock questions that you customize. So Mm -hmm. if we backtrack a bit, what's really important to do at the beginning of the discovery conversations is to have some sort of upfront contract, Sandler calls it, or some sort of alignment statement where you like let the prospect know, like the analogy I would use is like if I was hosting you and Laura in our home, you wouldn't just come in and like have no idea like how to conduct yourself there. You know what I mean? It would be like, Hey, Jeff, what's up? Like, you mind taking your shoes off? What do you want to drink? We're going to be hanging out on the couch over here. I'm cooking dinner. I've already probably checked your dietary restrictions before that. You know what I mean? It's like you are a guest and you're participating in whatever it is, but I'm sort of taking the lead. I'm, and I'm allowing for participation. That's how you want to think of a sales call is I'm going to take the lead and I'm going to invite participation. No one wants to come on a call where they're like, this is a sales call. Like, I thought you were running this, Jeff. Aren't right. you supposed to tell me what we're supposed to talk about? Yeah. So set that expectation. Um, one of the things that I recommend is what usually happens with reps when I listen is if it's a 45 minute conversation, they spend four, you know, 35 minutes talking about stuff that doesn't mean anything. And then like in the last five minutes, it's like, Oh shit, we should have been talking about that from the very beginning. You can avoid that altogether using just an alignment statement. And the alignment statement is, you know, the two or three buckets of things, the priorities that your prospects, your buyers will typically have. Yeah. You should know those. So when I look at the last, I don't even know how many deals that I've closed with it. If it's working with AEs, it's AE self-sourcing. I know is the number one thing people care about. How do we get our AEs to self-source more pipeline, increase pipeline coverage to rely less on SDRs and marketing? Mm-hmm. So that's going to be one of the things I talk about. Hey, Jeff, as we dig in here, I'm really curious. I'm speaking to a lot of VPs of sales these days, and I hear two focuses. One is around AE self-sourcing, generating more self-source pipeline, getting them to do more outbound, increasing pipeline coverage, that sort of thing. And the other thing that I hear is more around running really tight sales cycles. So multi-threading more effectively, you know, knowing how to engage the CFO in deals, et cetera. Are those two things remotely close to why we're having the conversation today or is it something else? And now I've put bumper guards up on the conversation. And typically, like if they're not focused on those two things, I probably can't help them anyways. But you want to think about the personas that you work, you should know generally what their two or three top priorities tend to be just based on pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. So when I do that, that allows me to have these like talk tracks where I I know the questions that I'm going to ask. So what's more important than the questions that you want to ask is knowing what you want to find out because the questions could come out in a lot of different ways. But the kind of three-part discovery framework is connect, quantify, and lead. We've talked about the lead part a lot, right? You're leading the call. The connect part is, I think it was Gartner, 91% of B2B buying decisions are the result of connecting that to an org-wide initiative. So in other words, if you can't position your solution in a way that connects with something they already care about, they're probably not going to buy it. Nine, uh, one out of 10 times, they'll buy it. So that's what I'm trying to figure out is uh, 
well, what priorities do you guys have around this? So your CRO, Jeff, um, what are you hearing from your CRO in, in terms of what AEs need to be self-sourcing right now? What are, what are the top priorities that are trickling down? Uh, yeah, we need to have a blended pipeline. Interesting. Uh, quantify. How are you measuring that? Typically, what I hear is that people look at a percentage of pipeline. Sometimes it's the number of meetings that they want their AEs to book. Sometimes it's pipeline coverage. How do you guys measure it? So what I did there, the framework, and we've talked about this through a prospecting lens, question stacking. Mm -hmm. I always want to give context to my questions because that one demonstrates expertise that I talk to a lot of other people like them, mm -hmm. but two, it actually gives them insightful stuff. Right. So I want to pack that context into the question and then ask, but I need to kind of know in a discovery over the multiple conversations that discovery happens, which I'm a very big fan that discovery is not a call. It's a, it's a verb. It's a, it's a thing that we do. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to know generally like what someone's goals are versus what they're accomplishing now that what Keenan talks about that gives you the gap. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I want to know what they're trying to do to solve the problem and and like how we might approach it a little bit differently. Those are the kind of general things that I want to know. Yeah. So I want to know what the pathways are and I want to know the information that I want to extract that helps both me and the buyer determine, is there a big enough problem here that I can quantify a cost of inaction mm -hmm. where the cost of inaction does hurt a little bit? Right. It's um, it's interesting what you said, you know, put guardrails up, you know, it's like, and if I can't help them with one of those two things, I probably can't help them. Like, it's so yeah. important to know. I mean, look, in an outbound motion, you get to pick the people you believe you can help. You have some reasonable suspicion that you can help mm -hmm. based on people you've helped in the past. And if yep. you don't have that, you have a marketing problem, not a sales problem. You have a marketing problem that is actually very difficult to overcome with sales. So you got to get that part figured out. Um, but it just, it's funny when you can put yourself in that alignment, when you, you know that you've got a solution that helps people or, or companies in these markets, the things that you need to learn, they, they come about pretty quickly. It's, it, this doesn't have to be more complicated than it is. Uh, so I, a discovery can go quickly if you're aligned, um, but it, it's still like what you mentioned right off the top. You said most discovery doesn't last long enough. Do you think people are in a hurry to get through it? Or do you think that they just don't quite know what to do with it? And so it doesn't take very long. It doesn't take very long to fail, really. Yeah. I think what's a little tough right now is that, you know, Gartner's got another stat. I want to say 70%, we'll call it seven out of 10 buyers would prefer a repless buying experience. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty scary when you hear stuff like that. And it's and it's basically what they're saying is that what I believe that they're saying, based on you know, firsthand experience of doing this and, and watching it a lot, is that they're tired of that style of discovery where they just get peppered with questions and they don't learn anything. Where it's like, yeah. dude, I could have just put this on a form or something, man. Like, why yeah. why are we talking right now? Um, so that's like buyers are getting really burnt out. So where I'm going with that is that they expect to get a lot more early on. So one of the things that we do have to be willing to do is, hey, if we got a 30 minute call scheduled, they might want to spend half of that talking about how we're different from other people and do all of this other stuff that we're told not to do, right? No discovery, no demo, won't mention who said that, but I, this is so, it's bad advice. Um, like if you get an executive on a call and like they have a burning question about something, 
I'm going to talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think the, the thing to do is I want to, I want to come into that call knowing that I'm not going to get to ask 21 questions. What are the three to five questions that I need to know to understand how best to like give them strategic advice on what I think that they should do. Mm-hmm. That's the big thing. And I'm forgetting your specific question was, was it balancing no, the it two or was it that do people stop too soon? Well, you say, you say it doesn't take long enough. I think, well, it's really easy to fail fast at discovery. Yeah. Right. I mean, but I guess my question was, are they just not good at it? So it doesn't take very long when you suck or oh. is it that they're trying to rush through it because they feel like they're, you know, they should be spending their time mm. elsewhere. And, and oh, I think you, it's both. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's both. Yeah. I think the other thing too, is that just since two thirds of my client base's uh, software companies will use a demo as an example, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very typical sales motion is a 30 to 60 minute intro call followed by a demo. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got 45 minutes to do a demo and there's still stuff that you haven't figured out, you should prepare for that demo and say, Hey, here are the three things that I need to talk about at the beginning of this and do more discovery before I start just showing random stuff in this platform. So I think if you give the buyer a reason why you're asking the questions, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not completely self-serving and Kyle AC does a really good job of this. That's what he shared on my podcast was this, Hey, I should, prepare two to three things that are insightful that I could share during a discovery conversation. So for me with the AE self-sourcing, I'll say stuff like, Hey, one of the things my clients are seeing a lot of really good results with is, you know, essentially having these like group workout sessions. I call them get shit done sessions Mm -hmm. where twice a week for an hour at a time, they'll get the individual AE teams, five to 10 reps on a zoom call and they'll put themselves on mute and they'll prospect together. So it's a very intentional thing that they're doing and then facilitating the activity. How are you guys facilitating the outbound activity right now? Or are you just kind of relying on them to do it themselves? It's like I've shared something helpful where they're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. We should do that. Right. So I I like to say your prospect will not allow you to waste their time twice. So how are you bringing yeah. value to the meeting? How are you bringing insights to the meeting? Uh-huh. You sell this every day. I heard Anthony and Arena talk about this with you. He's talked about it with me too. You sell this every day. They buy this every five to seven years. Maybe in the case of sales training, they buy it a little bit more often yeah. than that. But you know, not from. Uh, it's not part of their regular vernacular. You have a responsibility to lead the way. And if you're not yep. leading, and if you're not leading with value, you're losing to someone who will. That is the state of the mm-hmm. art of professional sales, particularly in B2B. Um, Jason, I, our time is short, and so I've got to let you go. But before I let you go, um, two things. One, I want you to tell people how they can find you. But I have a, a personal question. I'm gonna let's let's open the kimono <laughs> here a little bit. Um, you and okay. I both sell selling. We both sell sales training. We both sell consultation. Yeah. We both sell coaching. Um, do you feel like there's a little bit of a bigger microscope on the way you sell since you sell to salespeople for salespeople? Because mm-hmm. I, can, I can share my answer. I, I definitely do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I find that buyers, because I've talked to them afterwards, they definitely test me. Mm-hmm. So they'll say things like, yeah, send me an email. And I'll get back to you. And I'll say things like, uh, you know, hey, I'm happy to do that for sure. But I know that you don't have access to Jeff's calendar right now. But how about we put a time on your calendar as a placeholder we can invite him to it? I want to make sure that we that we maintain the yeah. momentum here. 
that's like what they're looking for is little stuff like that. The multi-threading things. They'll be like, oh, you know, I'm the only person. And then I'll kind of push back a little bit like, oh, I see what you did there. I get that a lot. Oh, I see what you did there, you know? Um, so yeah, there's definitely a, a larger microscope for sure. And I feel like with reps too. And sometimes what I have to explain when I'm in trainings is I'm like, hey, you guys, like with my business, understand that I'm 100% commission, right? Like if I don't do a good yeah. job in my business, I make zero money. There's no salary here. I don't have any buffer room, right. <laughs> you know? Um, so like I get the pressure, dude. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny. I was uh, I was on a call last week uh, about a deal uh, for an, an SKO next, uh, next January. And oh. a couple of people left the call, you know, but before they had to leave the call, I had to work with someone on some content ideas. But before the other people left the call, I made sure that I scheduled some next steps. I'm like, okay, well, so what are we doing to move forward here? And after they left, the, the person I was with, they said, I see you closing that sale. I said, I see you watching me making sure that I close that sale. Like I'm very aware that the, the all eyes yeah. are on me during this sales process. And the way that I handle myself is going to directly relate to how I'm going to train your reps to handle that themselves. Um, but yeah. it's, it, there's always that little extra layer and uh, I didn't figure I was alone, but I'm, I'm glad that you said that. I'm yeah. Alone. So, yeah. No, well, it's I, like I, the it's like the personal trainer that's like, you got to be in good shape. I mean, that's just instant credibility right there if you're in really good shape. Yeah, for sure. You keep taking this back to personal training. I wonder if you're sending me a message or if that's just what you're into. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, where can people learn more about you? Uh, OutboundSquad.com is the best place. We got a podcast too, Outbound Squad Podcast. But uh yeah, there's a bunch of stuff on the website. I mean, primarily what you're going to find is there's a bunch of free stuff. So anything related to outbound discovery, multi-threading, uh, demos, negotiation, we got a lot of great content on that. I post content every day on LinkedIn, that sort of stuff. And then we have coaching and training programs too. So if you're a rep or a sales leader looking to get help implementing some of this stuff, outboundsquad.com is the best place to do that. Awesome. Jason, as always, thanks for being here. Um, I learned something today. I hope everybody listening learned something today. And uh, I always get better after I'm done talking to you. This is, this is great. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I don't know about you, but I get smarter every time I hear Jason Bay talk. He's on a very short list of people who, when they speak, I listen. And I'm better for it. I certainly hope you are as well. Here's my challenge to you today. As a result of listening to this discussion, what are you going to change about your discovery practices? Are you going to think about multi-threading a little bit earlier? Are you going to take a step back and think about how the broader sale needs to be made? Are you going to help your prospects see around corners even this early in the sales process? Or maybe you're just going to think about how your prospects will not allow you to waste their time twice and that you need to provide value at every single interaction. One of those three, hey, maybe something else that I didn't just mention. We covered a lot in this discussion and maybe it's worth another listen. Maybe it's worth sharing with somebody else. Maybe this is worth bringing up in your own sales team meetings so that your entire squad can get better just because you listened to this discussion. Thanks again for being here. I know you have a lot of choices. There are more and more podcasts every day grabbing for your attention, hoping to grab your attention. Anyway, thank you for spending the last half hour or so with me, and I'll be back with another episode next week. Rethink the Way You Sell is a Pot About It production. It's mixed and edited by Doug Branson. 
with music by Blue Dot Sessions and Doug Branson. This podcast is masterminded by Jeff Bajorek. <laughs>